We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Pele leaned in and said something to Freddie. Don't let them change you. Keep working on what makes you different and what makes you special. It was great advice, but it caused me some problems. But what could change Freddie do? Soccer is going to explode, and it's going to be around this kid. We were the Beatles. Everywhere we went, it was the Freddie show. And with that came the expectation, and with that came the pressure. New episodes of American Prodigy drop Tuesdays from Blue Wire Podcasts. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top part show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by Indeed and BetOnline.ag. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius and Mike. It's been a little bit since we've done a general NBA podcast. It's easy to get uh, caught in the weeds of the Lakers and... As there seems to be peace in the land, right? About as harmonious as it can get post championship with your two superstars signed to extensions and upgrades in talent on the roster. Things are as bright and as rock solid as they can be in the NBA. There is no such thing as a safe place in the NBA, but the Lakers are as well positioned as you can be at this point. However, most of the stars, the real top level guys around the NBA, are in different circumstances that have quite a bit of uncertainty. And so we're going to talk about that. We're going to do a little jaunt around the NBA talking about the star heavy teams who also coincide with teams that the Lakers may face either in the Western conference playoffs or hopefully the finals. So that'll all tie in, but it's, it's a a really unique situation in the NBA where almost every major star is in kind of an odd situation. And we're going to start with James Harden. James Harden uh, did not, 
start out training camp. Uh, there were some various entertaining pictures of him floating around the internet. He showed up, I believe, today to start the testing protocol, tweeted a picture of himself uh, palming a ball today. Uh, we're yeah, not getting his... Pete. <laughs> Just a well, ball. Okay. I'm, I'm worried what else we're going to learn about um, about club etiquette from our from Mike today on this pod. We learned about the honey bun on the last pod. So uh, I'm, I'm curious what other um did you get the uh, Did you get the honey bun I sent you in the mail? It has not come yet, Mike. I'm still waiting. I'm still. The waiting. post office is having oh. some problems these days. I so, did. Yeah, I did. Say, I sent you something, but it sure wasn't a honey bun. It was uh, not. That's for sure. I mean, I. It's funny looking around <laughs> this superstar thing, looking around the league, and I almost there was a part of me, Pete, that was gonna gonna clap back to that and kind of like I'm I'm not I'm I haven't been too impressed with Harden's uh, behavior here. I know there have been many a rant um, from all from all sides, but I think the so take out some of the the more generic stuff about how yeah you're you're getting this amount of money to show up like the rest of the guys like all, all of that is pretty obvious, but the just sort of the the wanton disregard for the organization and for the fans um, to be going out amidst COVID with absolutely no qualms about it. It's just, it's disappointing, you know, for, for anybody that follows the NBA or just anybody that's just trying to do their best to get their kids in school, to work hard. And I, I know people can say, oh, you can't conflate all these issues, but to me you can, because these are, these are guys in, in at least somewhat of leadership positions. And it's easy for us to relate to what we've seen with the Lakers going on with how LeBron has contorted himself, or even though he's seen on the highway in his car, he's got a mask on even in that sense. And he's not going out anywhere. So it's just that alone um, kind of really, really pushed me in that over the top as, as to all of the rest of the stuff that was already bugging me. And it almost, we're going to talk about some teams with these stars where, where they have a chance to win the title. And I don't even think we can put Houston in anywhere near that conversation um, based mostly off of Harden. And as opposed to him trying to embrace everything that's going on with their roster, rallying the troops, leading these guys, right. What can we do to integrate John wall? Um, How's boogie looking, you know, all, all of that kind of stuff. I, Hey, come join me. Let's figure this stuff out. Rah, rah like leadership stuff that he's doing, he's doing um, honey pots or honey buns, excuse me, uh, with Lil Baby <laughs> in Vegas instead. So I, that was my very, my PG version of that, Darius. And uh, I'm just going to leave it at that uh, for now. So look, Mike, like all the societal stuff, just in terms of um, the health protocols and, and sort of the general safety of the players and, and everything related to leadership and, and, and all of that. I'm with you a thousand percent. Harden wants out, right? He's, he's made that clear. It's been widely reported. The thing that I would have wanted from him, even if he's going to basically be adamant about not wanting to come back, which, which would basically take away some of that idea of rah-rah leadership and, and I'm all on board here and yeah, John Wall, yeah, Boogie Cousins, all right, Christian Wood, like this is my organization, it's my franchise. You can sort of understand that his want to get out of there might impact some of that stuff, right? What it should not impact is sort of the stuff that you glossed over at the top, which is showing up on time, managing the protocol stuff, 
and more from my opinion is working with the front office to try to put a good face on everything to make sure that both sides come out of this thing as whole as they possibly can can be right the i i heard ramona shelburne say say this i think it was on the jump and, and the idea of help me help you right which is what houston should be saying to james harden like help me help help you you want out that's understandable we've had eight years together right and we got almost to the summit right they lost in game seven to the golden state warriors which was one of the best teams that i think any of us three have ever seen play all right it didn't work out it's time to move on the general manager's gone the head coach you had mvp success under's gone all right Cool, but let's work together in order to try to salvage this in the best way that we can. We can move you on to a new team and we can get back the type of trade package that is reflective of how great of a player you are. Instead, though, he's not doing any of that and he's almost tanking his value and doing it in the most James Harden way possible right? He's out there partying and going to various night spots and posting these images himself on his IG page. And it's just sort of, sort of like, look, man, like professionalism, there's many layers to that. And he is so far beyond all of those layers that it's just disappointing on a bunch of levels to me. Yeah. The one thing to add before we kick it back to Pete I know there's been a lot of discussion about, oh, okay, when was the last time a superstar, you know, really had the organization over, over the coals like this? And some think back to Kobe in 2007. And we spoke about it a couple of weeks ago. In fact, I, I brought it up in part because of how Dr. Buss flew up from Italy to meet with him face to face. And they they had that like respect. And then Kobe decided to stay on board and or I shouldn't say even decide, but like the Lakers didn't trade him, obviously. And here here's the difference between this situation and that one. Harden has gotten exactly what he has asked for for the previous many, many years. First, they got Dwight Howard in free agency, um, that who was a, a star, okay, two-way star, all-NBA first team. Um, at that point, then they traded for Chris Paul. And Darius, you just talked about the run where they almost get past the Warriors. Then, because widely, it's widely reported that Harden was the one leading the way, get Chris Paul out of here and get Westbrook in here. They did that at the expense of their future. Then they set up the entire offensive system around him. Everybody else, yo, PJ Tucker, stand in the corner. Nope, don't, don't, don't move off the corner. What are you doing? You don't get to, you don't get the ball. Get back there. Eric Gordon, get above the break. Stay put. James will decide when you get the ball. Ariza, same thing. Get in the corner. Hey, oh, Covington, you're here now, by the way, traded a first round pick to do that. Um, Covington, you go stay in the corner. And, and just do what James wants. And that was part of the reason and maybe the biggest reason why I think they couldn't get over the top against the Warriors as great as Harden is and all of his skills. So they cater completely to all of his whims. That was not the case with the Lakers. Like the Lakers were trying to win, but it wasn't like they were out there bringing in second star after second star after Shaq left. And then they, Mitch Kupchak pulls off the, the terrific trade to get pow. Um, and like, it, and then they come together and, and even, at that point, they had not acquired him yet, though. And Kobe, yes, he was. He went on the air and said, I, I want to trade. I want something different. But I think in hindsight, you can sort of understand. We know who Kobe, what Kobe's about. He just wanted to win, and they had not been winning. They hadn't been making postseason runs, 
right? He was he was trying to carry teams that were getting out in the first round. So I just think that's a totally different situation um, from what the Harden one is right now. Yeah, there's less validity to Harden's complaints for sure. Uh, it is similar though in that Harden's got three years left on his deal just as Kobe did. And that puts it in a slightly different situation from the team has a little bit more leverage. There's not the threat of, oh, I'm going to walk in free agency at the end of the summer, which is often in recent times, these situations with Anthony Davis, for example, that's by right around the trade deadline of the year before where that happens is when things start to really ramp up. And Harden is different in in this respect. I will say, though, that I think that this situation has been headed this way for a little while. And it's not always wise to go off of reports, right? So with that disclaimer, the reports were that, you know, Harden wants out, preferably to Brooklyn, possibly Philadelphia. And the the Rockets, rightfully, would like a young stud, multiple first-round picks. Uh, they want a lot back for the best isolation guy in the game. So totally understandable. But the message that's put, that's put across is, and we're willing to get a little bit uncomfort- uncomfortable, right? Or not even a little bit. That's my qualifier. We're li- willing to get uncomfortable. And I think that when you start off in a contentious and confrontational stance like that, I think this is Harden saying back like, oh, okay, let's get uncomfortable then. And sure. I think that that rarely works out for anybody. And that's not a... A justification for for Harden. I think that the uh, you know Mike and I, you, you and I were talking about the Kyrie situation that we've got different opinions on. But I actually with with Harden, this is actually showing up for the job of. In case, in case anyone's on. In case anyone's unclear about that, I, I was not thrilled uh, with Kyrie's comments. But Pete, back to you. <laughs> yes, and just Harden, like you said, he's been catered to to a great extent both in terms of personnel style of play um i'm really curious to see his stat line right or if do they maintain that same style of play and steven silas is playing a style of ball that is mike d'antoni's style of ball is that steven silas's type of preferred style of play i don't know i don't know but probably not probably Probably not not. no probably not he coached under rick carlisle for the last few years and And he was supposedly one of the people who helped design some of the stuff that worked for Luka Doncic, right? Which is like some Iverson cuts and more movement off of the ball. Luka's been compared to Harden a fair amount, but I think he actually resembles more LeBron James in terms of his style of play, but just not as athletic, right? You'll find him in many more spots on the floor than where you'll find a James Harden and and cutting more and moving more and, and just doing more off of the ball. So I don't expect them to play the same style, Pete. It, yeah, the only issue, though, Darius, there is, well, I guess there, there are sort of two, but the first one, if Harden's on the floor, he's going to kind of play how he wants to play, yeah. I, I, it seems like. So, if, so what is in Steven Silas in his first year, you know, what's he, what's he really going to do? Is he going to kind of bench him? Is he going to play him fewer minutes? He's in a tricky spot there because I think there's no question you guys are right. He's not going to want to just do the same thing, especially if they don't know. It, it's been pretty clear Harden doesn't want to be there. So why are they going to play a system that could just completely revolves around what he does? But then again, if he's there and he's playing, that can be tricky, Pete. And so that's I, uncomfortable. Yeah, different yeah, yeah. degrees of uncomfortable. We're about to see it. How does this get resolved, do you think? 
Well, I, the reporting, which for people that know more than we do, and I was listening to Tim McMahon, who's been on this story pretty tightly, of course, at ESPN, he's on the jump today. Uh, it seems inevitable that a trade will happen at some point. But what Houston doesn't want to do is just flip him now, because it, let's say there's only one offer on the table. And we don't know that there is for sure, but it's not like we've we've heard all these rumors of various teams going in. And I don't if I'm Houston, I wait it out. Wait till the, like I don't think they're they think they're going to win the title anyway this year. Um, so you want to play as well as you can. And maybe he comes in and he does play well and it does click. But if not, keep it going at least until the trade deadline. See what teams are doing better than they think. See what teams are doing worse. See what teams think. Hey, you know what? We could win a title if we make this move now. And then. Like and then so teams are at that point, if they feel like that, they're going to give up more. So um, I I guess my if I had to make a prediction, it would be that they would wait until the trade deadline and, and possibly take the best offer then. And if there still isn't a good offer, you can take it into the offseason at that point. But the one thing it does do to me, it's it takes Houston out of that real contenders mix uh, just like just that in its own right, let alone the other moves that they've made. Yeah, they have a great deal of talent, but it would require a certain rowing in the same direction that Darius was referring to that in order for them to even have that chance. And that just doesn't seem to be in the cards. Want to head out east. Pete, do you think he gets traded this season? I I do. I'm with Mike on the trade deadline. Uh, But that's the thing is that they've got the some degree of leverage to just wait it out this year. Is this a year that they essentially punt right but they didn't then the moves they made don't indicate a team that's looking to punt and but this is this speaks to the preview that we did right of they're they're a team that is in transition and that a lot of different guys have different and different components of it have different agendas think different things that are important to them and not everybody seems to be on the same page so this to me, this was a, a slow motion train wreck that we could see from a long ways away. Uh, do you think that that's the resolution? Do you think this extends into the offseason? No, I think that he gets traded and I don't put it past it that he's traded before opening night, actually. Oh, interesting. OK, let's move that Philadelphia, right? Yeah, there's we'll, we'll go to Brooklyn and Philly. Those are the two teams that have been rumored to be involved in this. Uh, Philly is the team like so Brooklyn supposedly his preferred destination. Uh, but there have been some reports that Philly that he'd be willing to entertain uh, going to Philly. Philly is also the team that uh, Daryl Morey is now in charge of. Right. And so there's a certain already synergy built in there. And Daryl Morey has been building a team around James Harden for a very long time. And so. The big question with respect to Philly and that is, do you move Simmons or Embiid for him, which I think you'd have to move one of them. And if so, who? So would you guys move either guy for him? And what's the rationale behind that? So first of all, both of these teams could win the East as is next year. I think they have enough talent that if they if they figure things out and play the right way two new coaches but uh, we saw that work for the Lakers last year uh, in part given what their star power was so both of those teams could win as is I think that Brooklyn has the chance to make a trade that doesn't involve one of their two stars um, whereas Philly that would be much less likely and but so in Philly's case that to me is a team where let's see how this looks with Simmons and Embiid plus the shooting that we acquired. So it's it's Curry on one side, it's Danny Green on the other, um, it's Tobias Harris out there, and then some of their bench crew. And let's see, with the new coaching staff, uh, with Daryl Morey pulling some strings, 
maybe this team can start out really hot, like let's and, and ride that out. And then maybe they're in a position of strength then where uh, if flip side, let's say they're not playing well, it's not working. Simmons and Embiid are not playing well together. Then po- you're possibly the offer or the look around the league to make a deal increases. Uh, so maybe Darius, if you want to hit on Philly, you know, we can wrap back to uh, to Brooklyn after that. I think the most natural trade part, everyone says that it should be Simmons that gets traded for him. Um, and to a certain extent, I get that. And beat is sort of this defensive anchor. And if you're ranking which player is probably perceived to have higher value, and if you listen to reporting that's around the 76ers in terms of who is more favored within the organization and Bede is that guy right and so it probably makes more sense to trade for ben simmons um, or to trade simmons and i'm guessing houston would probably want simmons right who is younger and under contract for i think four or five five more seasons and so there's a bunch of certainty there right i don't know if i'd make that trade i'm a big fan of ben simmons and really um, interesting Harden is a fantastic talent and such a good player. And he's won an MVP award just in like the last few seasons, right? So his impact is undeniable. It just is. The lack of leadership that he's been showing over the last several seasons, but and and sort of culminating with this stretch now during this offseason concerns me. It just concerns me. Now, that's not to say that I think so highly of Ben Simmons that he and he's this ultimate leader or anything like that, because he does not have the history of that either. Right. But Harden, some of Harden's more famous playoff failings and sort of the leadership and lack thereof that he's been showing, it just concerns me as now him being again just like, yes, let me give up and in his prime or approaching his prime young player who is exceptional on both offense and defense. Is he unconventional? Yes, he is. But the effect they have on playoff basketball winning around a team that makes sense for them, like it's probably closer than what the results would say to this point. And and so I think it's tricky. Mike, do you trade Ben Simmons for James Harden? If it's straight up one for one. Yeah. So this, this ends up getting really down to a personal preference type thing. And I, I would echo your concerns about Harden, uh, especially over the last couple of years. And I don't know if that's something that turns around uh, especially with the, the amount of money um, that is coming in there. Well, also, so, dude, he's 31, Mike. He's yeah. not. This isn't a situation where he is 28, right, or 27, right? Like, he's 31 now. This, this isn't a, like, okay, well, the leopard doesn't change his spots, right? Like, and how will he age? How will he look in two or three seasons? And it's a tricky equation to me. S- sorry to jump on your point again, but but it, it's no, yeah. an interesting com- conversation. Well, and also just the way so the way that he played, which maximized his scoring uh, and you know sort of secondarily his assists to some ridiculous numbers, right? Thirty-five type points a game, but I I never found that to be a sustainable model um, for winning, especially in playoff series. And he wasn't doing that as much when Chris Paul was there. 
And so I, I never, I never thought for a second that they had a chance to beat the Lakers in a series last year, um, based in part on, upon the way that they were going to play. And then we've been over my feelings before about two way wings that are getting paid that much. And I put Harden is a little bit more like a Damian Lillard. Now he can hold up defensively against some bigger guys, especially in the post, especially on switches to an extent, but he's not a game changer on that end. And I, this is again, why like the Lakers are in, in such a nice position by having their two max guys, defensive and offensive game changers when needed in crunch time. And so take out all of Harden's, the glory that he's had on offense from a statistical perspective, but I worry about some of that. And that's set aside from all of the leadership stuff. So yeah, I I think that, I think that I would be hesitant um, in any situation uh, and depending on what I had on my roster. And, you know, part of that also is, do you know that he's going to be happy in your situation? Um, Which some teams may think, Oh, he's much better than anybody we have, but is he going to want to, be happy here and want to stay here so it's a tricky one pete uh, and that's that's something that's going to have to be factored into all of these potential um spots if he does in fact that moves yeah and all of the concerns that you guys are raising about harden i 100 percent agree with i thought it was very telling how he played in game seven against okc they ended up winning that game but i've seen him in multiple situations where when it gets hot and heavy in the third or fourth quarter of a really big game it's like where he's a little too eager pass the ball he's a little too eager to stand in the corner or just swing it like not really wanting a part of those situations that's one of my biggest criticisms of him along with you know Mike D'Antoni always his system always inflates the numbers of the primary ball handler this was Steve Blake Kendall Marshall Jeremy Lin uh you know that's something that's throughout Steve Nash saw a huge boost and where I'm at though Kobe, Kobe saw sure, that second Kobe half of that excelled. season. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And anyways. Yes. And also all of that is true. For me, though, there's such a fatal flaw in Simmons and Simmons on a second contract. Like, I don't think Simmons can be your second best player or your second best offensive player and win a title. Like when Jimmy was there and he was on his rookie deal, that was a team that got to the Eastern Conference Finals to a game seven, right? And lost on a uh, on a buzzer beater. But I'm struggling to think of the last player who did not have a jump shot as a threat, who was as important to their team, to a title team, as Simmons is to this current Philly team. And I, you have to go back to kind of an era that's just fundamentally different in terms of spacing in terms of the areas of the floor that you look to attack that i know it's such an old criticism but come playoff time who do you give well, the ball to on Philly the, when they it's need the Giannis, it's the Giannis criticism too though right for sure and 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 Giannis is like seven feet tall with all of the athletic gifts in the world and we see that yeah, like he's even more athletically like gifted six, than simmons is simmons is like 6 10 though i mean he, no, he's simmons on, is a, right and he's Giannis will at least shoot the three though he shoots it Right. Well, he's got he's got some uh, like he's got a kind of around in the post. It's bad. It's further along than Simmons. So I wouldn't I, I but I, I would say Pete's concern is super valid and does apply to Giannis. And that's the biggest reason why the Bucks crashed out the last two years, uh, because that his that one weakness. And I think you could say the same thing about uh, a, a Philly team that doesn't have another sort of wing perimeter scoring option late because Embiid, you're not always going to be able to get on the ball um, down on the block. So that can be something that you think about what Frank Vogel and Anthony Davis and LeBron would game plan for, right? Like that, that's, that's a pretty, that's at least a, a very 
firm game plan. Here's what we're going to make them do. And can he do it? Can Giannis do it? Can Simmons do it? But Pete, the counter to that is 24 uh, can guard multiple positions, um, monster in transition. Uh, and, and like, can there's just, there's so much there to work with that you, you make the rest of the roster try to fill, fill that those holes. Like I, I, but you're, but you're not wrong the shooting thing for him and Giannis is an absolute concern. And, and it's something that's going to follow them until they prove it in the playoff series. Yeah, for sure. And, and it's kind of like Simmons to me is similar to Westbrook in that is one of the great floor raisers in the game that, uh, but I think he also puts a limit on your ceiling. If he's on a max contract, like not being able to have a jumper, it, if that can work, if you can have a max guy on as one of the you know top two guys on your team, and you can win a title with that in two thousand in the two thousand twenties, I will be fascinated to see what that looks like. Yeah, no, so I'm just thinking if we if to transition to Brooklyn along the point that you're making, so there's no concern about KD or Kyrie with a jump shot. Okay, about creating a shot late in games, and you can envision a playoff series in which they kind of they're close enough and they just battle close enough, and then wow. Uh, there's KD on one side of the court. There's Kyrie on one side of the court. Both of them can get to a shot however they want. And that's enough to win a lot of playoff series. The flip side between them and Philly, though, then is defensively. And can can KD post Achilles? You know, can he find a way um, to to get all of that accomplished? So Pete, maybe when we come back uh, from break, we can get into a little bit more, uh, starting with Darius's thoughts off this Brooklyn Nets squad. Let's do it. Let's throw it to break. We'll be back with that. The wait is finally over and football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. And now, Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria. You can contact them the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier. Like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it and fast. Try Indeed out with our $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com backslash BlueWire. Offers valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. Darius, would KD, Kyrie, and Harden work from a just basketball concept? Right? The, the old phrase is there's only one ball, right? And that takes that idea to its uh, 
logical or perhaps illogical extreme where yes there's only one ball you also have three of the very best isolation players in the world what's your take on not just brooklyn but like the how harden fits in would fit into that ecosystem so holy pete you already you want to go to you want to go to what's gonna what could happen if harden's there first before just talking about what could happen with the nets team that is there now let's do both we'll do let's that. do both let's do both go ahead darius no no <laughs> no so no t- so mike to your point and the way that we start, started this pod, it was sort of this idea of like drama, right? Like the drama around Harden and, mm-hmm. and, and the next little cheese pod. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Talk a little, uh, yeah. A little gossip. So when you talk about the nets now, the idea of Harden is even active with the nets, right? I saw a quote. <laughs> the Karis LeVert thing. Yes. Yeah, like Karis LeVert got asked about James Harden not reporting to Houston. Like, yeah, Nash got asked is, about it too. Yeah, in practice today. These are wild questions to ask the Nets players. Or I didn't even know that Nash got well the question too, Mike. So there are already dreams about Harden in Brooklyn and Steve Nash. Look, I love Steve Nash. Right? He he has one of Kobe's MVPs up on his mantle, but. Mm-hmm. I still respect Steve Nash a great deal. Amazing teammate, great leader, all all of that stuff. Steve Nash is also a rookie head coach, and he's now coaching Kyrie Irving. And maybe Kyrie will write out emails to Steve, too, about like what's going on and how he's feeling about the game plan. So don't get me started, dude. Just don't, I, just don't get me started on that, okay? I don't want to debate Pete on it. We've had a lot of conversations on text about it. Don't get me started. Um, I love Steve Nash, too. I think we should get you started. I nah, think we totally should get you started. Oh, my goodness. Good. So, so, get it out, Mike. So I'm just saying, though, Mike, so Nash is already going to have his hands full, right? I think he's happy to have his hands full with this specific situation. Situation. Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, supremely talented players, a bunch of other really gifted offensive players, right? I think their defense is a question mark that is not getting talked about enough personally. I think that KD is going to be fine offensively. I wonder about how he's going to defend coming off of the Achilles much more than I'm worried about how silky his jump shot is going to look, for example. I'm semi high on Brooklyn. I'm not necessarily looking at them as like the favorites to win the East. Um, I think there's a bunch of continuity stuff that still needs to be worked out. I think there's personality stuff that is going to need to settle in with this team that is not played together, even though they've been around as a group for a year. Um, so there's definitely some runway that I think they're they're going to have to take advantage of um, in a shortened season and a shortened off season. That's going to be tricky for them to navigate. That said, at their peak, I think they can be a wonderful team, um, especially offensively, and that they could end up winning a lot of games, 130 to 122. Right. And it's just like, wow, that was great. Bring in Harden, though. And maybe you're asking too much of Steve Nash at that point while also likely sacrificing a bunch of the depth that I think that team is going to need in order to compete at, at a high level. And look, Harden's a fantastic player. Like we don't have to say that over and over again, though, to understand that there actually is only one ball Pete. And if you had that type of talent in a system, like even like if it was 
the early 2000s and you were running the triangle, for example, or if you were running a very motion-based system like the Warriors run, then I think you could get a lot out of those three guys. I don't know what Nash is going to do if he had three really strong, ball-dominant, superstar-level guys at that level. I wouldn't want too much overlap to me, but maybe I'm wrong. That's a play devil's advocate a bit. I don't entirely disagree, but defending that team would be very difficult in a seven game series. Who's got three perimeter defenders that could like, we talk about the stacking talent with the Lakers and how at some point, this is something that I think we're going to see a benefit of from adding Montrez Harrell. It's like, yeah, we've can focus our attention on keeping LeBron from getting to the rim. Maybe LeBron and AD to the rim. If Harrell can play with those two, that just becomes, you're going to break at some point. And like, who does your, your third best isolation perimeter defender is defending Kyrie Irving, James Harden. You know what I mean? Like, and so I don't like, yes, all of the holes exist there. I just be very, very curious to see it. It's, before we get into the Harden stuff, though, Mike, where, where are you at with the, this, this current iteration? It seems like this Brooklyn team is kind of that manifestation of, uh, you know, we talk about the player empowerment movement uh, just with hiring Nash, with the Kyrie stuff, with the media statements and all of that. It seems kind of like a, a more severe version of that than we've seen before yeah i I just want to i mean i'm i'm interested in them as a basketball team and the Kyrie thing is a separate issue and it's simple like i I just think he's he's got to recognize what league he's in he's part of the collective and that um you can't label media into a current contract uh, context and 95 percent of the questions that he gets are very much fair and very related to basketball and he gets himself into trouble with stuff but that's the the thing that i actually want to get into um, is if you look at their roster, what's their closing lineup right now? And how is that team going to hold up defensively? So if you're, it's not going to be DeAndre, I don't think, but you, you sort of have to plug in um, KD and Kyrie, and then you're probably having Joe Harris out there for the shooting. But then what is it? Is it, you know, a Torian Prince kind of struggled last year. Um, is, is Landry Shamit take a, take a step up? Like, can they get enough from does Rodion's Kuruks show enough defensively where he's out there? Like, uh, I mean, it's probably have Levert out there. Uh, Levert, Levert's one for sure. And then, it, you know, Dinwiddie is a little repetitive, right? With Kyrie. And then, so mm-hmm. they, they need one more, like almost every team in the NBA, they need one more sort of two way big wing or a PJ Tucker type where they can play smaller um, with, it's, you know, with KD. And like they need to me. Go ahead. Sorry, sorry. No, go ahead, Pete. Go ahead. Go ahead. It seems like they're a trade away. Like it's more of a roster imbalance issue. Like to me, they're a Dinwiddie trade away and whatever would for a wing. And then that roster makes sense all of a sudden. So yeah, uh, that, that's, to that's, me, they're the most good. dangerous team because because it's more that they're out of balance than they don't have enough talent. And that's what I was getting at. So they're like, I think they could win the East uh, with sort of a, a personnel flop of one type, whether it's flipping one of the centers, uh, they're not going to, sounds like they're not going to flip DeAndre. And I don't know what value that really has, but Jared Allen, you know, for some other, one of those sort of two way wing guys. And then, you know, they're, they have plenty of firepower. I actually think KD is going to be great. Uh, I, I think like to, for him to have all of the additional time off, to really get that Achilles heel, not have to push it too much. Um, the We know that that touch has gone nowhere. The IQ, you know, like, so I, I'm not worried about KD at all. Um, I, have, I have some worries about Kyrie really embracing that he is now the number two. He's not the one, he's not like the one B, 
or like or the one he's the number two like he was with lebron if he can embrace that that's super dangerous but yeah i i think that of of the teams that we're looking at and we'll touch on some of the other ones quickly um that have these stars uh, they are intriguing to me to win the east if they can make one more move to supplement to balance the roster out and that doesn't that's not talking about harden by the way that's a whole I, that's a whole nother can of worms and i think i don't know if that automatically um solves the problem because they're having to put so much out there and then they're still not having that two-way type defensive wing so that team would certainly be interesting and i'm not saying i would pick them darius to win the east but uh like i think that they could explore it in a different way um and be the best team in the east yeah i think both of you guys make great points i think pete's pete's point about just having so much offensive firepower matters and in a playoff series it would be hard to stop them right and in the grind of the playoffs where every possession matters that much more the saying that applied to the lakers last season was like their best offense was their defense right because they got stops and then they turned those stops into um, transition opportunities and then put pressure on the opponent to stop them brooklyn if they had a james harden right it could be the opposite where their best defense could be their offense right because they put so much pressure on you to stop them and then when they score they're able to force you to take the ball out of the hoop play a little bit slower they get to get their defense set and and there's a lot of advantages that that come with that the stuff that would concern me most about Brooklyn is still just the chemistry stuff and the fact that, and I always revert back to this. So maybe I'm, I'm a broken record, but it's like, these, these are people and things have to be harmonious and to a certain extent, and you have to row in the same direction to a certain extent, and you have to keep guys happy and get them to buy in and, and maintain that buy-in over the course of not only a long regular season, but into and through the playoffs where it's very likely that roles are going to have to change in order to meet specific matchups from the right angle and trajectory in order to win. And that's a difficult job. It just is. And I don't know how that's going to go, Pete. Like and and we've and we saw an example of how that can go sideways last year with the Clippers. And they're the next team that I'd like to get into is the we had some comments right from Doc Rivers to Paul George and uh Kawhi Leonard was like, I'm gonna keep doing what I'm doing. And um so they've opened up their training camp. I'm curious, though, I think I, I could see it going sideways again for many of the same reasons, right? I don't think necessarily the reasons why things went they did last year are are gone. I don't think they've necessarily addressed that. But I do think that they have been humbled to some degree, right? They're not pounding their chest quite the way that they were. And that is a really talented team. And they did add a guy in Serge Ibaka who gives them another dimension at the five. They did not have a viable stretch five last season with the exception of the minutes that Jermichael Green played. And so their team that going into camp, Mike, I've, I, I like their balance a little bit more, but I've got some big questions about not only the chemistry components that Darius is talking about with respect to Brooklyn, but their athleticism. I think they're significantly less athletic than we are. Uh, and then their guards, they've got too many defensive guards that I just don't think can hand up, hold up in a, a playoff circumstance, but they're still a very dangerous team. You always talk about those elite two-way wings and they're at this point, 
you know, it, you'd be hard pressed to do better than what the Clippers have in that respect. So what do you think of kind of this new, more perhaps humbled version of, of the Clippers? The, the the real quick last point I wanted to make to Darius about uh, Brooklyn, and I promise this is 10 seconds. I, I do believe in Nash. I think that he's got the perfect temperament. If anybody can actually get to Kyrie and KD and the rest of that roster um, is a guy like him that's been there as a player that's also super laid back personal, personally that's smart. So I, I do believe in, in him. Um, moving that's to totally the, fair. Moving to the Clippers. Ty Lue's going to have a lot of heavy lifting uh, to do, I think. And it's, it's intriguing like you don't want your coach to have to be the main personality in the locker room. Um, I think you want to have a coach that can do that, but also players on the court and, you know, Paul George and Kawhi that's, that has not been their thing in their career. So to be that vocal uh, leader, uh, to be the, the, the guy that rallies the troops, the guy that gets everybody to dinner or a team movie or, and if you don't have one of those guys um, that can do it, um, I think that that eventually comes to root to roost at some point of the season. But like Pete said, I think the talent is undeniable. I think they have the uh, the the f- care factor that's been forced upon them by the fact that they lost to Denver in the fashion that they did, where they are going to be expected to play hard every night almost. Whereas the Lakers next year, well, they're the Lakers. They have LeBron, so they, they will be to a different extent, but not the, 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 the microscope is going to be on their day-to-day efforts. And so I think, and I think they'll respond just fine to that. And, and that's why I think if I had to pick, I probably would pick them second um, in the West um, based off of that. But I still don't see a solution based on the roster, based on the personnel that's going to solve that on-court chemistry, leadership, ball handling like that type of spot I don't think has been filled uh, yet and I think that that might not because it's not going to come to fruition too much in the regular season uh, based on the talent and based on how much they're going to want and need to win but I think in playoff matchups uh, I, I do think that that's that still needs to be addressed for them and and that's why you know I don't I wouldn't be surprised like there are, there are some other teams I think in the west that could beat them in a playoff series um, but I, I don't I, I, I don't want to discount what they can do in the regular season. Yeah, I I think that even if they're locked in, they've got that issue in the front court with their athleticism. Um, I think going from Harold to Ibaka, I was really struck by Ibaka tape, right? He was a guy that as free agency was coming about, I watched a good deal of tape on him because I thought like he would be a, a potential fit. And I was, I was so struck by what a floor bound player he is. He's very smart. He's very crafty. It's funny. He, he went from one archetype to the other. But when you think of that in context with their whole front court, we always talk about putting pressure on the rim with the Lakers. The Clippers don't have much in the way of guys that do that. Ibaka, again, is more of a jump shooter at this point of his career. Zoo is, you know, he'll roll to the basket, but he needs creation to happen for him. Unlike a guy like Harold, who can get there himself. Neither Kawhi nor PG are putting a ton of pressure on the rim. They're more jump shooters. And so I think the Lakers are a particularly bad matchup for them this year, just because there's such a massive athleticism discrepancy in the front court that my concerns with the Clippers this year are less about that whole skipping the process and more to do with, I just, I think there's some major flaws on this roster. And that's something that as we go around the league, we go to Brooklyn, like the best case scenario for Brooklyn, I think is the best team outside of the Lakers in the NBA, the version that makes a trade that now they've got more defensive, 
offensive talent and more balance on their roster. That's the team that I, you know, or even the Harden trade, right? If that were to happen, I'm at least curious to see what that looks like over the course of a seven game series. But with the Clippers and just in general, I look around the league and I feel like maybe I'm just being a homer, but the Lakers are just so much more well-positioned than anybody else. We could talk about Milwaukee and the the year that they're going into. There's a lot of uncertainty there with Giannis. You've got Steph trying to navigate this situation without Clay, with younger guys in uh, in Wiseman and Wiggins to incorporate into, you know, the him and Draymond. There's you just look around the league, like almost every star is in a circumstance where I look back at the Lakers and I'm like, this is as well positioned as we could be relative to like, there's no other team in the NBA where I'm like, Oh, they're going to be an absolute load. And I'm almost sure that they, that they will be, I I, I don't know. Am I off base areas and thinking that the Lakers are just really on a different tier at this point? No, I think that look, the Lakers are the defending champs and they got better. They started with a head start and they did nothing to take away that head start. If anything, they they added to it. I think that any optimism around the Lakers is well-founded and the and as the regular season kicks in, we'll see how well-founded it actually is. But I think the perception of them now is what it should be. And people should be fearful of them as a real threat to repeat the Clippers. I'm going to push back against the idea that you talked about a little bit, Pete, or just, I don't think that you're framing the Clippers as a bad team at all. Mike said that he thought they would be the second best team team in the West. I'm assuming that's where you have them as well. I do too. That's the thing is that I think that like I'm, I'm picking nits for sure, but relative to the Lakers, I do think that there are some serious roster flaws. Yeah. I guess I still believe really highly in Kawhi and Paul George. Especially Kawhi, yeah. Especially Kawhi, but even Paul George. Hmm. So we talked about earlier about Harden, right? And kind of his playoff. Yeah. The, Paul George doesn't kind of strike on your radar on the same thing because he does Not, for me. It's similar to Harden. So yes and no, I guess, is the most dearest answer that I could give to that question, Pete. Paul George played really poorly in that game seven. And I think that shot off the backboard is, or off the side of the backboard is going to live in infamy for him in real ways. And his lack of accountability um, in his recent podcast appearance with Steven Jackson and Matt Barnes, I think only fuels some of the conceptions about him um, that were reported over the off season. I think most notably by uh Johan Buva from The Athletic, right, where there was real thoughts that Paul George was very much a everyone else's fault, but not mine. I think he tried to clean that up at like the first day of training camp or when he first spoke with the Clippers media. But but I think that that's a stain that that he's going to have to to live with. It's tricky, though. Paul George has been on the wrong side of some big shots like Damian Lillard hit that big shot against him. And I think some of the things that do Paul George wrong or that affect his perception is that he always has something to say about things when they go go wrong. And it's almost always the wrong thing. Right. So Damian Lillard shot was a bad shot. Doc Rivers tried to use me like I was Ray Allen 
when in reality, none of that stuff really lined up with with reality. I just think, though, that when it comes right down to it, he's just still a really, really good basketball player and that he can play better than he did during the playoffs. And he's very likely to actually play better moving forward. I don't know. Maybe that's misguided from me. The athleticism stuff that you mentioned in in the front court, that stuff's real. And I do think that they are they are now disadvantaged a bit more against the Lakers than what they were before. That said, they're going to cause teams problems. I think they can cause the Lakers some problems, too, to a certain extent. Like the Lakers lost defense on the wing. They got some back with. um with Wes Matthews, I obviously they could call LeBron into that. They can call AD into that. One of the things the Lakers like to do, though, is have size on the perimeter. And they did a really when they matched up with the Clippers. One of the things that they did was like they told LeBron, like, you get to go rest on Patrick Beverly for a long time because Danny Green is going to guard Kawhi and they're going to push up either KCP or Avery Bradley to defend Paul George. They can't do some of those same things this season based off of their defensive personnel. Like, I don't think they're going to be able to put Dennis Schroeder on Paul George, for for example. And that may mean that, is Kawhi going to guard Paul George? Is he going to guard Kawhi for the full game? You mean, you mean LeBron? Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, is, yeah. Like, is is that going to be LeBron's primary defensive matchup? So it's it's tricky, right? Like, I'm not saying that the Clippers have made up ground on the Lakers. I just think that there's matchup stuff that goes a bit both ways, in my opinion. Is that fair or am I being too devil's advocate here? No, no. I mean, that's they're Kawhi and, and Paul George in theory, especially defensively, um, you know, and they do they do give them a big advantage. Like that was why we all made a big deal out of it when they got when they did the trade. And it's, as far as the Lakers specific matchup, we, we've kind of gone over it before. I think you can just play Kuz and Markeith a little bit more, right? If you want to be bigger on the wing for most of the game and those guys can hang just fine. And then you let AD and LeBron slide over for crunch time. Uh, right. Uh, so like I, that, that to me, or you just have KCP chase George around. Um, and if he wants to shoot over the top, that's fine. Like just zooming out though, on this Clippers team and getting a little bit more deep into Paul George. And then I actually want to focus more on Kawhi quickly to kick it back to Pete to close this out. So George in the playoffs had some really good games and he had some really bad games, but overall he shot 40% from the field. He shot 33% from three and his assisted turnover ratio to me was the big problem. 3.8 assists to 3.1 turnovers. That's terrible, right? That's, that's uh, especially when you're not being efficient as a shooter. So he, he played, it wasn't just that last game. He played subpar. Kawhi, on the other hand, his, his numbers are great. You know, 28 points, 49% from the field. His three-point shooting wasn't very good. 33 for him. He's usually above that. But then he's five and a half assists to two turnovers, right? 9.3 rebounds. Like he, you know, his numbers were there. My issue with Kawhi is more, he, he just plays uh, in, in a very specific and emotionless and meaning. Uh, I don't want to say meaningless at all, uh, but just the, he, he plays a certain way that if you just plug him in like Toronto did, where Toronto already had their whole system, it was a group of guys that in played a culture. In, yeah. in a culture. Yeah. And like, so the Lowry and Marcus all and like in, in Ananobi stepping up and like they, they just Van Vliet, like they, they functioned where that assassin guy who just played his game, they, they fit him into that. 
brilliantly. And they just, he, so he didn't have to do anything other than go on score, like go take a jumper. And it was like, it was a two totally different things, but the Clippers, they didn't have that uh, to the same extent. They had the screen roll with Lou will and Harold. Like that was like a staple. And then Beverly playing defense, like and Kawhi just kept doing that same thing. And Darius, I think you alluded to this earlier when his comments were like, yeah, I'm just going to keep being me like that to me, that's not leadership. That's not, and he didn't have to do it in San Antonio either. Paul George mm-hmm. isn't going to do it, right? Kawhi's not. And so if those two aren't going to, that, that's what LeBron does, man. That's he, he leads and he brings, and he puts them in a direction. And that to me is what faltered in the Denver series when, when they just had to have somebody sort of not just take the reins for themselves and take turns. Like, uh, like how many times did Luke Walton say that about Ingram and like uh, Lonzo and, and mm-hmm. Julius? It'd be, it'd be a different guy every night. Like, that to me is the is the is the the killing type of factor um, that that I don't know if that can be addressed. And again, that's while picking them to finish second. I think they're super dangerous. Um, but th- that's to me that that's what that's what my point is, Darius. I would just say too, Mike, that I agree with that. That if I have concerns about them, it's more on the leadership chemistry side. Pete, I feel like you're seeing both of those things. And that's why you're just like, Oh man, I'm happy for the Lakers. Right. Hey man, that, what Mike said about it not being Toronto or, or San Antonio is spot on. The Clippers are a situation where they need leader leaders to step up, not just one, but they need a primary guy like just showing up and dropping up, dropping 28, eight and eight is not going to get it done. Right. That, that It's a situation where everybody needs to be brought together and, when that culture isn't already established, it's very difficult to achieve that if your star is not the person who's really the driving force behind it. And that really speaks to the whole idea of what we've been talking about is so many of the elite players. We didn't get to Milwaukee. We didn't get to Golden State and stuff, but they're the kind of the uncertainty of those situations has been ground well covered. And we'll get to that as well. But I think that outside of the Lakers, the best player in the league who's on a team that's kind of built on solid ground, I think is Jimmy Butler. I think that pretty much everybody else, your Kawhi Leonard, Giannis, KD, all these guys that are Harden that are in kind of that top five to seven, aside from LeBron and AD, are in these very these situations that that could go a lot of different ways. Yeah, and there's something so to get, prove. Yeah. Yeah, some, something to prove, which is a good thing, which is a good thing to have. But uh, it's it's something that I think the Lakers have a head start, even with this quick turnaround, that having those superstars and a culture and environment that's stable, which is so funny to, at this point, uh, not, you know, before last season, right, going into the preseason, talking about the Lakers is the most stable environment amongst the elite teams feels feels really good. So uh, it was good to do another trip around the NBA. We'll do this again soon and uh, probably zero in on a, on a team or two here and there so we can go a little deeper into what teams do. But uh, when we come back for Friday's show, we'll be previewing the very first preseason game of the 2020-21 NBA season. But Amazing. until then... Yeah, man. You've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. (laughs) See you guys. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Good. 16 rebounds. Flat. 
with his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two. Listen. Unbelievable. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good. Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers. James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.